Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out! Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He ducks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. That's right. We are back at it again. Episode 4 of the Rhodey Baseline Podcast. I'm Gary, joined as always this week by my co-host Andrew. Andrew, uh, we finally had uh, two more 8-10 games on our belts. How you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Before we get started, I just want to wish everyone a happy new year. And I hope everyone's starting off the new year great. And uh, yeah, we had a couple of conference games that we got to go over. Uh, Going to go over some news around the A-10 again this week. Uh, got some conference games to preview. Um, some interesting topics that will be brought up during those conference game previews and an interesting hot take that I'm sure will open a lot of eyes and start a big discussion amongst Rhodey fans. I'm excited about this hot take this week. I think it's going to open up a little more conversation around it and, and get everybody talking way, way more. I uh, do want to mention, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening to us, you found us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us, facebook.com slash Baseline and on Twitter at Baseline. Uh, we go through and do post polls on there and a bunch of awesome posts, so make sure to follow us and leave us a five-star review if you do listen to the show. Thank you to everyone that has done so already. We appreciate the support. So, two games we had this week. Let's uh, jump into the first game that happened on Sunday. Uh, that game was against St. Joe's that happened at URI. Uh, luckily, the first time that we don't have to have the Hawk in the building for the game, right, Andrew? Yeah, that must have been weird for St. Joe's not to have the Hawk in here. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a game... That wasn't pretty. URI was lucky to win 85-77 in overtime. Quite frankly, they did not deserve to win that game, and they got crap lucky that they won that game. Heck, they got lucky that that game went into overtime if it wasn't for St. Joseph's stupidity at the end of the hat, at the end of the game there. Fouling Fats 30 feet away from the basket to send him to the line with less than a second left to tie the game. And send it into overtime, which you or I controlled overtime from start to finish. I just want to say, we talked a lot last week about how this was going to be a cakewalk. Oh boy, we were wrong. It was just, it was a tough game for the Rams. And, you know, me and Andrew had said that we thought that Fats should have sat this game. If Fats did sit this game, we wouldn't have came out of here with a win. So, I, you know, I understand why we said it. I, I understand why we would think St. Joe's not being a good team, but St. Joe's always plays a tough game against us. I remember a couple years ago when we were playing at St. Joe's, uh, the game where Fats, I think, had 41 points, something like that, right, Andrew? Yeah, he had 41 down in St. Joe's last year and a little bit of a homecoming game for himself. And that was a great game, but I get, it didn't transfer this year. And St. Joe's is 0-6, and they're not, they didn't play like their record last against us. Taylor Funk was amazing with 29 points, 7 boards. Cameron Brown, another amazing performance, 21. It just wasn't enough. 
And quite frankly, if they were just one stupid play away from upsetting Rhodey and giving Rhodey a crippling loss. And the story of the game, again, for Rhode Island was turnovers and shooting poorly again. And I think it's a buy. they shot 42%, 24 from three. They had 16 turnovers. It's not going to win you many games against good competition, which – and it's just – it's not it's not a good recipe for success. Two of your starters shot combined 0 for 7 from 3. The starters shot combined 1 for 12 from 3. That is not going to do you any solid points. You only had three guys in double figures. And like David Cox said, if it wasn't for Fats, URI loses that game. Fats was a warrior that game, and whatever it is, when he plays the Philly teams, he steps it up to another level. I just want to say, so uh, Fats only had seven points entering the last two and a half minutes of the game. He finished with 20 points and was just shy of 1,400 in his URI career. Obviously, only 22 URI players have ever hit that mark. Uh, but, you know, it's like he he knew that he had to come in and, and be the star to finish off the game, and then in overtime just ended up dominating. I feel like every time I saw the ball in his hands, I knew it was going in in overtime. Like, it just... Exactly, and that's your senior leadership right there for you. Fats realized if St. Jo- if St. Joe's was to beat them, that it would crush any chances that URI has of making the NCAA tournament and the NIT tournament, for that matter, if there is to be an NIT this year. So Fats realized that this game was a lot, and we all know it was really early in the season, but this game really honestly could have crippled any chance that URI has at making a postseason run this year. And not for nothing, tats off to St. Joe's. They didn't have their star player, Ryan Daly. They could have came in here Sunday afternoon, folded, and went right back to Philadelphia chopped up and ready to go for their next game. But they came in to play. They wanted this game. And luckily for URI that they had a terrible mistake at the end of that game. Yep. And obviously it seems as though St. Joe's kind of lost their, their steam. You know, they kind of got in their heads and then in overtime it was it was all URI. They URI controlled the tempo, controlled the ball, and won, and won the game, a game that definitely they shouldn't have won. And and I know we can I know we can say that multiple times. This team has had a tough time, but and I think that's where the experience, the senior leadership that this team has, and the tough schedule that they had plays into effect. And luckily, URI was able to once again beat St. Joe's eighty-five to seventy-seven in overtime and get their first or their second conference win of the year. And we're heading on to start a big week against Richmond in Richmond, Virginia, against the Richmond Spiders and VCU, who we'll preview later. It's going to be tough. Uh, this team is going to have a tough time. We're going to get into it, into it a little bit later on. But obviously, URI headed out for their first road game of the year uh, over in Richmond, uh, staying in Richmond, Virginia for two games, which, by the way, quickly want to bring up, this is the way the attention should be scheduling it all the time. If URI is heading to Richmond and they have to play at home, at away against Richmond and away against VCU, they should be playing that game within two or three days and staying in Richmond the whole time. And you can say that you can say that about other locations. Like if you're going, if teams are coming up to New England to play Rhode Island, they should be playing Massachusetts at the same time. Get two games out in one stone. Same thing if you're going to Philly, you should play LaSalle and St. Joe's in the same two to three day window. It just makes two and George Washington, George Mason down in the D.C. area. It would just makes too much logistical sense not to do it, and hopefully 
this year just proves that it starts to happen that way. I, I hope that the A-10 takes a note of it. it. It just needs to be done that way. But URI headed to Richmond. Uh, game happened Wednesday uh, at Richmond uh, against the Richmond Spiders. Richmond star player Andre Gustafson uh, was announced out uh, due to illness. It was not due to COVID from what we found out. Uh, so a big player out for the Richmond Spiders before the game began. But it didn't really matter because Richmond was able to hold on to the 80-73 to win. And the conference favorites played like the conference favorites. I mean, for some part of it. Richmond tried their best to give URI that game at some points. They'd always let URI back in. They only had seven turnovers, but it felt like every time Richmond pulled away, they managed to let URI back into this game, and URI just wasn't able to take advantage of it. They turned the ball over 19 times again. That's what killed us. I mean, we did shoot 52% from the field and shot 40% from three, so your number's a little bit better, but we only shot 56% from the free throw line. That'll kill you. As much as Richmond was giving the game to us, Rhode Island was giving the game right back to us, and I think one of the biggest issues was fouls. We weren't driving enough at the beginning of the game to get any fouls. Richmond did not foul us for the first six minutes. We were fouling every possession, it seemed like, and that's where Richmond set, muddied the water, set the tempo up in and, and the way that they wanted it and took advantage of it. And they got, honestly, that game should have been a blowout. Richmond was not hitting shots that they should have. Right, Gary? Yeah, no. I mean, th- this Richmond team could have taken this game so many times. They got, you're right, got so lucky. They were luckily to be only down one at halftime. Like, they, I don't, I don't understand how they were only down one. That realistically. In reality, Rhode Island should have been up two, but that's something we'll get into in a little bit later. Yeah, I don't think, I just think that this, the, this Richmond team could have took this game multiple times. And, and you know what's funny is obviously during the game, I, I got a text from someone close to the podcast. I'm not going to say who. Who just said that, you know, URI is just having a tough time going through all the motions. Just, like, not having that the confidence, so to say. And we've talked about this on the show, right? I think that the team is still kind of getting into the getting into the motions. But it it's it's a little concerning. And, it, you know, the St. Joe's game was obviously concerning slightly, right? You know, but we also thought the St. Joe's was going to be an easy game. It's never an easy game, right? And you knew that Richmond was going to come in being ranked where they are and you know, poised to, to either win the A-10 or come in a close second to St. Louis, you knew that this team was going to come out, you know, swinging, but URI needs to almost figure it out. It's 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 concerning me slightly. that The turnovers, 19 turnovers is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It brings, it, it makes me almost think of that, the PC game that we played a, a couple years ago at the Ryan Center where we gave up so many turnovers. And then the PC game that we won, where PC turned over the ball, I think it was like 17 times. Like, turn, like it kills us. It, it literally, and every time that I saw that ball, it was, also makes me angry, it was stupid mistakes. It was never, it was a, a, a pass that was thrown too hard, you know, someone trying to make it look fancy. Just, just score. Just, just pass the ball and score. Before I get into why, I, a little bit of a hot take, that why I think the turnovers and the team just not gelling, in my opinion, I I want to bring up one thing that I really think hurt this team in this game. And and I'm pretty sure I texted you about this. And it could have very well been a momentum shift, changed a lot of things in the game. And when it happened, I texted you, Gary, immediately. I was getting ready to write an appreciation text 
and it quickly turned into something that wasn't. The move that Jalen Carey had to score that basket was amazing. Greatest basket I've seen almost all year. And then he flexed and they called the technical foul and that just took any wind out of the sails. I remember URI was, I think URI had just either cut the deficit down to like three or it just, it was, it was the momentum turning play. And then he flexed and they called the technical foul. Richmond went, hit both free throws and they went on and won the game. And that's why I said URI could have been up by two or three at the half because of those two free throws. I get that we all say that the technical fouls were a little ridiculous this year. It was brought up on Twitter. At some point, the players have to take ownership of this. They know how the technicals are being fouled. You just can't do that. It kills momentum. Gary and I have been talking about how this will cause. This won't be an issue until it causes the team a game. I know it was in the first half. You had many more opportunities to win this game, but I honestly do believe that that technical foul will call to you, cost you or I the game. The, the one thing, too, also is the fact that it, the Jalen Carey one was blatant. It was. It was blatant. Like, it, it, he, he flexed on it. I saw the replay, and yes, it's a technical foul. Like, I hate it. I hate saying that it is. And yes, is it a little soft? It is. But they've called less than that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to call that a technical foul and you're not going to call the other thing, it, it, it starts a whole can of worms. Like, it is a technical foul. At some point, the players and the coaching staff, for that matter, they got to be like, guys, relax. You score a basket, put your head down, go back on defense. We know how the, the refs are calling it this year. Let it go. And not for nothing, there was a and I written and another thing before I get into my next topic, Grant Golden and that matchup between Grant Golden and Mikhail Mitchell that was amazing to watch. They were amazing, so good to watch. They were going back and forth at each other. They had jawing going back, a little pushing and shoving the whole night, and I. Loved that. That is going to be if I hope that Richmond URI get to play again in in the A10 tournament because that was a great matchup and tip of the cast to the refs for letting that go. They it only it was between them two. I saw the refs go over there a couple times and talk to the both of them. But that that is what you love to see in conference play: two good players, two big men just going at it, not getting anybody else involved. And after the game, you have respect for each other. That was amazing to see. Oh yeah. Totally. And, you know, Greg Golden is Greg Golden, right? I mean, obviously he had 17 points and nine rebounds. But that matchup, like, they were they were going at it under the basket. And I was actually you, – you bring up a great point, Andrew. I was surprised that more fouls didn't get called on either of them. Like, the rest kind of let them go, which which was great. I think it, made, it helps the game. It was great to see. It was great to see that the, that the refs realized that that was a good matchup to evenly match players, and they just let it go. I, I wish there would be some more matchups like that. Like, even with Fats and Jeremy Gillard, the refs let some things go, and it's just great. It's great to see when the refs let certain things go. And, that, well, and unfortunately it didn't work out because URI lost the game 80-73, to and they stayed in Richmond for the next two days. But, and before we get into our next topics, and it kind of continues on with Richmond and St. Joe's, I have my precursor hot take to my actual hot take of the evening. I believe that the issues that URI is having with the turnovers, having no offensive flow, goes back to something that Gary and I have talked about and a little thing that Gary and I haven't talked about and stuff that was brought up in the broadcast last night. The rotation that URI has being 10, 10 deep, everybody getting different minutes every game. I think it's just there's no flow. There's no con- There's no – continuality amongst the players to have 
a strict, oh, I'm going to put Makai and Jermaine Harris are going to play together. Like, there's no lineup. I think every game we've seen different lineups, and you just can't get comfortable playing with guys if it's like that. It, it also makes – the thing that gets me also is the fact that if if we're going to play so many guys and we're going to rotate the minutes so much, how are you ever going to figure out the lineup that you're going to need in a tough situation? He and, 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 and David Cox hasn't been able to do that, right? And I'm not trying to trash David Cox here. I mean, I, I will bring up quickly that me and Andrew did see a couple people who were upset at David Cox. And, and I'm not going to get into that on this podcast. You want to look on Twitter, go ahead and look at it. But a lot of people getting upset at David Cox. Like, he's trying to figure this out. He's trying to figure it out. That's the reality. And the thing is, the team is so talented. There's so many talented players. It it's gonna take it's gonna take it's gonna take some time to figure out which lineups work and which lineups don't. And it's almost like David Cox is scared to sit players at certain points. Like I like you have ten guys who easily could be playing minutes on other teams. At some point, you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to shrink in this rotation. These guys are all going to get used at some point because we know injuries are going to be a factor at some point this year. Like, it's just, it's, and I want, and don't get me wrong. I love how tough the conference schedule was that URI played this year. I just wonder if URI, like VCU had done, because VCU goes nine deep and we'll get into that. VCU played a light, to medium non-conference schedule, couple tough games, but they played a very they played a lot of home games and they played a lot of games against weaker competition to get their lineups flowing and get their offense rolling. I think in the long run, playing the tougher schedule will be good for us, but right now it's hard to believe that we should have played some cupcake teams to get the lineups and the offense going and to figure out these rotations because right now it's biting your eye in the butt because. If you had a solid eight nine man rotation, eight seven eight man rotation last night, that game could have been completely different last night. It's just the way it is, right? And like I, I want you know, it's a weird year. It's a weird year. That's all I'll say, right? In the end, you or I sh- should have had a couple easy games, right? They they probably needed it. Would have figured out the rotation. We played these tough teams and had to figure things out. I just think that sooner or later it needs to be figured out because the time is ticking. Unfortunately, the time is really ticking on them. And it, it, if it's not figured out, then we're going to be, it's going to be in that position. But it also brings me back to similarities of, like, and we've talked about this on the on the podcast before, similarities of that Dan Hurley team uh, that went to the A-10 tournament and lost on the Thursday against UMass, right? That team was talented, but couldn't figure things out. And you knew that the team had potential and you knew the team had talent, but they were still trying to get used to each other. And you took the loss. And you said, "Okay, you know, we could have did better. Let's come back next year." And then they, you know, you know how the story ends from there. So it's not something to be too worried about. It's just the fact that they need to figure it out. They got to get better defense. They got to control the turnovers. Uh, it, there's there's so many things that just need to be slightly fixed, and it it is concerning. Don't press the panic button yet. There's no panic button yet. I, I wouldn't be concerned. And you just hate to see it with such a talented team, but. Well, hopefully they'll get they'll get over it. That hopefully they'll they have a couple of easier games in the conference play coming up that should be easier. Hopefully they can work things out. And last thing before we move into our next thing, I want to point out, Gary, the rumblings are starting about these seniors coming back next year. They mentioned a few times in the broadcast last night about how there's a bunch of seniors in the A10 
that are going to contemplate coming back. So just putting it out there that my hot take from last week <laughs> might be happening. It actually, it actually could be happening. I did hear that on the broadcast, and I, I did think of you. I can't. Obviously talking about how Grant Golden's a 50-year and could be a 60-year, and, you know, obviously about Fats Russell. We're not going to get into that. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, then that's on you. Um, but, yes, obviously the option for that sixth year. Uh, but let's jump into now. Uh, we introduced the segment last week and to get a lot of positive feedback, so it's coming back again. Uh, this is the news from the A-10. What do we got, Andrew? Got a lot of interesting things that happened this week. Uh, first off, we want to give a congratulations to Bob McKillop for getting his 600th win Tuesday night against Duquesne. Very Hall of Fame career, very nice guy. Wish him nothing but the best the rest of his career. Unfortunately, we have to give another congratulations to Chris Mooney at Richmond. Is the win the win last night against Rhode Island was his 300th in his career, so you have to give it up to him. Oh, why'd you uh, have to go there? Uh. I had to. St. Louis is ranked 23rd in the latest AP poll. Uh, we had your George Washington sophomore Jamison Battle was named A-10 Player of the Week. And I'm... Sorry for butchering this name. Dayton's Mustafa Azmiel was selected as the league's rookie of the week. Um, the A10 has five teams with a record of 500 better, 500 or better. Um, as of right now, there are six teams listed under consideration to make the tournament under in the bracket matrix. With that being St. Louis and Richmond as being a seven and twelve seed respectively. Davidson, Dayton, St. Bonaventure, and VCU are all considered to be in consideration for the field. We had a major upset in conference play this year. The Fordham Rams. Yes, I said it. The Fordham Rams. That bum team that everybody talks about relegating to Division Two, decided to show up and play a game of basketball and upset the Dayton Flyers the other night. And boy, oh boy, was that great to see the Dayton Flyers lose. Did, I'm just saying, did you see the video of the locker room, the coach walking in and them going crazy? I know they beat Dayton, and people were kind of laughing at the fact that Dayton lost to Fordham. But just the, the raw emotion from the locker room with them running in, pure gold. Pure gold. It was amazing to see them pull off the game. They, Fordham's had a rough year this year. Fordham was not able to play any of their non-conference games due to COVID issues within their program. They got destroyed by George Washington and LaSalle. And everything on paper projected this to be another blowout, probably even worse than the other ones. And it just goes to show that no night in the A-10 is easy and that Fordham came to play and won by one point. And it was great to see Dayton go down. I mean, I know it's going to... It's going to hurt the A-10 in the long run because it's probably going to hurt Dayton's tournament chances. But for that one night, that was Day- that was Fordham Super Bowl. And boy, oh boy, was it fun to watch. Fordham still deserves to be kicked out of the A-10, but that's a discussion for another day. Apparently, there's rumblings going around that the A-10 may be moving the conference tournament from Brooklyn to a campus site in the event that they can't hold the tournament at the Barclays Center. This this one, Andrew, this one is, is boggling my mind, but makes a little too much sense. So, obviously, the A-10 is looking at what's going on in Brooklyn. Currently, uh, the New York health system uh, does not allow Brooklyn to uh, have any fans, no matter anything, in the NBA arena, uh, according to NBA protocols. Um, so, currently, right now, they're still looking at it right now. 
Um, there's a potential. They're talking about how VCU's Siegel Center hasn't been an option. Also, the Richmond's Robin Center, so having it in Virginia. Um, because Virginia right now is allowing um, a maximum of 250 fans in there. So, I mean, I get it. I all I understand because they they don't they don't want to have it in the Barclays Center and lose a bunch of money because they're not going to be able to have ticket sales because the Barclays Center is so big and I'm sure it's not cheap to run the A10 tournament at the Barclays Center, right? Oh, absolutely. And not for nothing, you have a lot more teams closer to Richmond for health and safety protocols than you do to Brooklyn. I think as much as I would hate to see it in at VCU because of how good their fans are and it would be a decidedly home court advantage for them, I just think it makes too much sense in this day and time. And it's going to be interesting to see that decisions going to have to made, be made rather soon. We just saw that the NCAA announced that the tournament's going to be in Indiana. So, if, And I feel like this is going to be a thing of conferences all over the country that they're not going to want to go to these big arenas this year and keep their teams in a strict area and – Keep them safe. Now we we do want to be we do want to let you guys know this is rumors. This is not actually confirmed as, as of the moment. Uh, it was an article in the Richmond Times out of Richmond, Virginia, um, so it's not official. Uh, it does say that uh, A10 Commissioner Bernadette McLean has to decide by the end of January of what's going on. Um, so obviously there's a possibility that we'll find out sooner than later because obviously they need to get everything all figured out sooner than later. So It is worth mentioning that the women's tournament for the A-10 is also going to be at VCU Seagal Center. So they're already going to have a A-10 tournament down there. So it's worth noting that. Yep. And I mean, we obviously will keep you guys posted on on that. But yes, we um, we do hope that we'll, we'll give you guys more information as we find out about that. And the last thing I do want to bring up uh, for news for the A-10, something that I didn't think I would be having to talk about on this podcast. Uh, there was a game that was supposed to happen on Wednesday between UMass and George Washington, uh, and that game was canceled due to social unrest in Washington, D.C. As you guys may have seen, uh, there was a protest at the nation's capital uh, where there was some some damage and a curfew set, so that game was canceled. Uh, myself and Andrew do uh, want to send our uh, our thoughts and prayers to those people that were hurt. Hopefully everybody's okay. I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in this world that are scary, the coronavirus pandemic and everything in between, so we hope that everybody's okay there. Uh, that game is going to be postponed. We're not sure of a date, to be honest, at this point. Uh, so that is the news from the A-10 for this week. Uh, a lot of things happening in the A-10 this week. And now it's time uh, for the game previews for the week. Andrew, what do we got? We got VCU on Saturday on CBS Sports Network at 2 o'clock. And for all those who of you who live under a rock, the UMass Minutemen game from February 27th got moved to next Wednesday the 13th due to giving uh, scheduling flexibility later in the season. So you or I will be playing UMass next Wednesday, 7 o'clock. And for those that do have Nesson, it will be on Nesson. And other TV will be available, I'm assuming. So we're going to get into the VCU game. Yeah, yes. We, we got ESPN Plus for those uh, for that UMass game for anyone who doesn't have Nesson. Haha, me and Andrew, by the way. If you didn't know. <laughs> YouTube TV doesn't give us that luck, you know. Um, so yes, two, two games this week. The first game I'm excited about, Andrew. I'm really excited about. Uh, I think I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because it's I'm I'm excited. I don't know if it's because it's I think VCU, you and I both have a soft but, spot for VCU in our uh, in our hearts. Like we both we have some good friends from VCU and VCU fans have just treated us well over the years. 
Yeah, I think you. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game. They're eight and two, two and zero oh in conference play so far. They've had one game postponed. They are coming off a COVID break. Um, VCU is just an interesting team. They go nine deep, but like I said, they played a lighter non-conference schedule. They have, they spread the ball around. They have ten. They have five players who scored ten points against St. Joe's. They're a strong, deep team. We had a few. Uh, we had a few guy, few of our friends give reach out to us and give us a little, uh, a little uh, preview on them about. So, we appreciate all the help from them. Uh, they have an injured star, Jared McAllister, who injured his hand this year. So, unfortunately, he won't be playing, which is probably a good thing for Rhode Island. There are two conference, two big conference losses that they have. That they lost to West Virginia, who was fifteenth in the country at that time. They're fourteenth now. And I watched this game, and I know Gary did too. They lost to Penn State at the buzzer oh. on, an, on an incredible shot by Penn State. That was that was an incredible shot. But And I think the big topic that a lot of you guys are going to want us to touch on is that they do not have Marco Santos Silva anymore. Yep. Marco Santos Silva is not – he's not a, a VCU Ram anymore. Yeah, he transferred to Texas Tech. And he all accounts he's been doing pretty well down there, so we don't have to worry about him. They have one senior on their team this year, uh, Stockard. It's a new team. It's a it's a new it's a new team. It's a new VCU team. New VCU, but let's hope the recent dominance, uh, dating back all the way to when we won the conference tournament against them, keeps going. I know Gary and I went down to Richmond last year. You or I was able to win in the Seagal Center, which doesn't really happen for road teams. We were able to upset them in the conference tournament last year. It's just I for whatever it is, you or I's got a nice little. Nice little run going against VCU, and hopefully they can keep it going on Saturday and come back from, come back from Richmond, split the Richmond trip. I just want to say, uh, and this was something that came out the other day, and I I didn't realize it until you know with the question. So URI releases a trivia question every Tuesday. So the the question was Sunday's win against St. Joe's was the 59th A10 victory since the start of the 16-17 season, which is most in the league. Having won eight games between the two teams, who has fallen victim to Rhode Island the most over that span? The options were Fordham, VCU, or LaSalle. Now, I guessed Fordham because I wasn't thinking right. Andrew knew the answer, which is crazy. But the answer to that question is VCU. <laughs> exactly. I don't I don't know how we can – how I don't know what it is about – maybe it's the battle of the Rams. URI just feels like their Ram is cooler than VCU's Ram. We just have been dominating them over the last few years, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And before we continue on, I just want to point out all those trivia questions. I have yet to get one wrong this year. <laughs> That's just the way it is, Andrew. Uh, but no, VCU is going to be a tough game for Rhode Island. Uh, they are they are a tough team. They they are going to be able to capitalize on us with those turnovers. Basically, VCU is great at stealing the ball, and Uri is great at turning it over. So that's going to be the big concern that I have, obviously in there. Uh, you obviously have to look. You have to. You have to look also at Jeremy Shepard, who uh, actually play is playing in Richmond. He's from Richmond, which we didn't realize till recently, right, Andrew? Absolutely, <laughs> I didn't realize he was from Richmond until I mentioned it on the broadcast. So it's a homecoming of sort. Hopefully, some of his family members can get in there and cheer him on. But like you said, Gary, it's going to be the story of the turnovers. VCU turns the ball over 15 times. They force opponents to turn the ball over 19 times. Looking over VCU's stats, the one stat that jumped out at me is the fact that they f- they force op- opponents steal the ball 5.6 times a game. 
opponents or VCU steals the ball 11.2 times a game. I can't remember the last time I saw a team average double digit steals a game against a team in URI right up VCU's alley. And we had the issue we've had turnover issues all week, so I'm hoping this team being away down in Richmond can focus all on basketballs focusing on not turning that ball over on Saturday because if they do it could be a long game there's it's just going to be concerning I mean I know uh something that we got from one of our friends uh Bobby said that uh they should try to get bones in a three-point shooting match with Fats because he he tries to outshoot other guards which is similar to what Fats does for us with URI but not as much as he used to because obviously Fats has grown as a player so to say and for those who do not know who Bones Highland is he is what makes VCU tick. He's their sophomore guard. He averages 28 points a game. He averages 17 points a game. He is he is what makes that team tick. He is he's the new up and coming star at VCU. And they sh- if you shut down Bones Highland, you should be able to be right there at the end to try and steal that game. So Bones Highland is the one to watch down there. The other thing you really got to worry about is VCU is never out of a game. You can get up 10 to 12 points. They can put together a nice little run and get right back in the game. So do not take your foot off that pedal because VCU will come back and they'll get you. And their fans will let you hear it too. Yep. The thing that just I'm, I'm more worried about is I just I hope there's enough gas in the tank to, to come out against VCU. I know we play them tough, but I, I with the performance on, on Wednesday against Richmond, I'm slightly concerned. I hope with the performance after these last two games, URI comes out with a little bonnet under their tushies and plays with a hell of a pace and not sorry for my language, gets their head out of their ass and starts playing like the URI team that we know that they can be. Yeah, they they, they just need to they need to figure it out. So yes, VCU game happening on Saturday, CBS Sports Network for that game. And then this UMass game that just got thrown into us really quick. Uh, which is not a surprise at the way scheduling is this season in the A-10 and around the NCAA in general, right, Andrew? Oh, absolutely. It's And I completely understand it. I mean, it kind of stinks because you or I was supposed to go on their bye week this week, and Gary and I kind of talked about it. We're okay with the fact that you guys' bye week got pushed back to the end of the season, and it's not this week, but it would have been just nice to have a couple days off. But then again, you're getting a UMass team that could be a nice measuring stick, especially if you beat VCU. They're two and three, one and one in A ten play. Their first game was December eleventh. I know up there in Amherst. I don't know how because there's nothing to do up there. They got some COVID issues, and so they've only played five games. But they're definitely a solid team. It's not the old UMass of old that we all know and hate. They're a decent team. They're the Trey Mitchell show, and they're the Woodstock Academy North, like we mentioned in our. In our conference preview, they have eight players that went to Woodstock Academy, so there's a lot of familiarity with the players. Um, they've played, they played a lot. They've played an interesting schedule so far, to say the least, that they have at UMass. I know they added, they added Bryant last minute, which should have been a good win for them, but it turned out Bryant went up there and Bryant took care of business against them. Which was very. <laughs> Which are, are we? Are we? Are we surprised though? I'm not. No, and Bryant scored 93 points, so we knew it. <laughs> that Bryant. Bryant. Bryant went up there. They didn't want to lose. That Bryant team is scary good. But and they their only other non-conference games was a home and home series against Northeastern, where they split it. They won at home and then they lost at Northeastern. 
They beat LaSalle, and then they lost to George Mason in double overtime. But other than that, you, UMass hasn't played a game. They, As of when they play URI on Wednesday, it'll be their second game in since in the new year. They'll play LaSalle on Saturday and then URI on Wednesday, and they haven't played – they haven't played since the day before New Year's Eve. So they obviously are fresh. Trey Mitchell is redonkulous. He averages where is he? Averages 20, 22 points a game. They have five guys that average 10 or more points a game. They're not the greatest free throw shooting team, but they're it's a it's not the UMass of old, like I've said. They have their deep team. They they average 86 points a game. They give up 81. They shoot 34% from the three. They they get out rebounded, which is odd to feed, odd to see with with uh, Trey Mitchell that they have. Um, their turnovers they average 12 a game. Their assist to turnover ratio is 1.2. So they're they're an average team, and it's going to be interesting to see how. How URI fares against this team that is on paper a lot like them. I think I think that it's going to make a difference depending on what happens against VCU is going to make a difference in this UMass game, right? If you go through and you beat VCU and you have the momentum, maybe you come into UMass and you make it a very, very fun game. I think if you lose to VCU, you need to win at UMass. Like it, it is a... a a given that you need to win these two games if you can. You can't afford to lose too many more. Looking at the URI schedule, I think the VCU and UMass games are must-wins. I know it seems early in the year, but if you can get those two wins, you can go on a nice little run. You got VCU this week on Saturday, you got UMass on Wednesday night, and then you have George Mason, Duquesne, George Washington, LaSalle. Those are four very winnable games before you go to Dayton. I think they need to get these six games under their belt before they go to Dayton, or at least they at least need to go five and one going into that Dayton game, and then you have a chance to really start stacking your wins right now, which is what URI needs to do. And this could be the time that you. It's the I think my personal these next two weeks are the make or break time for URI. It really is. Yeah, I mean they it, they need to figure it out. That I've said it. I said it earlier in the show. I'm gonna say it again. They're just gonna figure it out. It's concerning. Two very big games that URI needs to win. Uh, Saturday against VCU, Wednesday against UMass. The game against VCU is on CBS Sports Network. Game against UMass is on Nesson or ESPN Plus, depending on where you're watching it. Those two games are going to be huge for URI and something that they need to pull out those games if they have any shot with the, the schedule that they have coming up. It's going to be it's going to be a very tough one, Andrew. It's going to be yes, very yes, tough. it will. But it could it's. I know it's January. It's only January, but this is make or break time for URI. You go five and one the rest of this month. Going to that Dayton game on January thirtieth could make or break whether or not this team makes the tournament or is going to go on a run in March. And with that, it is time now for Andrew's hot take. What do we got this week, Andrew? This is one of the most interesting hot takes that we've had all year, and it's going to start a big, big discussion. And hopefully it reciprocates on Twitter and Facebook and changes things. URI's lack of recruiting players from Rhode Island. And we're seeing it in George Mason right now with Tyler Golick. The kid is unbelievable so far. Kids from Cumberland. URI didn't even look at him. He got offers 
from Richmond, St. Bonaventure, Brown, Bryant, Columbia, Lehigh, Wofford, Bucknell, Penn, Northeastern, Elon, Holy Cross, Vermont, and he said it on George Mason. He had got a thousand points in three years at Cumberland, led them to the final four of the state tournament. He was working his way into the starting lineup down there at George Mason. He was the 2018-2019 Rhode Island Gatorade of the Player of the Year. Averaged 18 points a game, eight rebounds. As a freshman, he has at George Mason, he has 30 minutes a game. He's averaging 12 points a game. He's shooting 38% from three, 44% from the field, averaging three assists, three boards. He was named Rookie of the Week. This kid is for real, and it just and there's other players from around the area that are going to other A10 schools. Last night, Tyler Burton played for Richmond. He's from Uxbridge. UMass has a guy named TJ Weeks Jr. from Warwick, Rhode Island, who went to Hendricken. Outside of Will, the last in the last couple of years that I can remember, URI has not had any Rhode Island, Southern Massachusetts blood. And it's just frustrating to see, especially when there's talented kids like Tyler Golick, Tyler Burton, who burned us the last, last night, that aren't even getting looked at by URI. David Duke is another example up at PC. He's having a great year for PC at the Big East. Kids from Providence. Why aren't these kids, why isn't David Cox and Dan Hurley for that matter, looking in their own backyard. I get that Dan Hurley or David Cox loves the DC metro area. But you should be looking at these kids in your own states. There's no reason why Tyler Golick didn't even get looked at by URI. It doesn't it, it doesn't make sense. But but Andrew, you bring up a good point, right? So from people that I from people that I know, right? Will Levitin, David Duke, both from Providence, right? They got the look and they got the time, right? But I know from from what I've read and, and you know, PC fans can correct me if they know more because they probably do, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But David Duke was someone that Ed Cooley found and took under his wing. The, I don't know, understand why we don't try to look at players in the state and, and give them a chance, right? I'm not talking about all that. Will was a walk-on. Will was a walk-on on this URI team. He wasn't a, he wasn't, Recruit outside of walk-ons, outside of walk-ons, URI has not done any recruiting in state. These Brown and Bryant saw something in this kid. Obviously, if Richmond an A10 power, St. Bonaventure an A10 power, A10 teams, if A10 teams are coming up to Rhode Island to see these kids, why can't URI go down? Look in your own backyard. You're telling me David Cox doesn't watch local news, see these highlights of. Tyler Golick when he was playing at Cumberland. It's just, or uh, TJ Weeks at, when he was playing with Hendrickson. It's not that hard to go, if URI doesn't have a game, to go down to watch Hendrickson play, watch Cumberland play. Heck, Tyler Golick transferred to St. George in Middletown. That's literally right down the street from URI. I'm sure he could have gone down there and seen some of St. George's games. It's just frustrating to see that this talent is leaving the state, and it, not just from an, from a URI perspective, because not for nothing, I would have loved his 38% shooting and his 44% shooting from the field. But these kids are in your own backyard. They, I'm sure they would like even to be looked at. Maybe Tyler Golick didn't want to stay local, but some of these teams that offered him that were on his final list are local teams. It just It's frustrating to see that there's talent that the state's leaving, because not only would it be good for the school, but it could be good for the state in general to get some more players you know the app marketing tools you could do with a kid from Rhode Island on URI's basketball team? It's 
it's just frustrating to see, and I hope at some point David Cox realizes that there's talented kids in Rhode Island that could fit in. It's something that he definitely needs to take a look. But that is our show for this week. Uh, obviously, remember that URI plays Saturday against VCU on CBS Sports Network, and then Wednesday against UMass on Nesson and ESPN+. We will chat with you guys next week. Have a great week, and as always, Andrew, go Rhodey. Go Rhodey.